Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews. Turn to the book of Hebrews, please. Hebrews chapter 12, a familiar passage we've been through before multiple times. This is one of those passages I'm, I'm probably going to cover uh, two or three times a year. It's one of my favorites. As you're turning there, um, <clears throat> World War II, Japanese fought with a weapon that seemed sort of dangerous. I would say senseless, confusing uh, to most Americans. It was called the Kamikaze Pilot. The Kamikaze Pilot would basically enter into his plane, literally making it his coffin. Uh, as he would leave on his mission for death, he would deliver whether it's bombs or shoot down aircraft, but he would attack the, uh, basically his enemy to the point when he was out and then he would fly his plane into the base or a ship uh, and obviously destroying his target as well as himself. Now the Kamikaze pilot was only useful if he was committed to his mission. Okay, think about that. There's a story of a kamikaze pilot who flew in World War II for the Japanese Air Force. He was interviewed by a newspaper upon returning from his 50th mission. Think about it. The reporter asked the pilot if he wasn't a contradiction in terms. He said, how can somebody be a kamikaze pilot whose mission is to fly into military bases and give warships and give up his life in the process after 50 missions? Well, this is what the pilot responded. He said, well, it's like this. I was very involved. I wasn't committed, but I was very involved. Well, a true kamikaze pilot only flies how many missions? One. Exactly. He gave, uh, basically, he gives his life as a mission. Uh, he cannot be involved without being committed to his mission. No such thing as a half-hearted kamikaze. And a commitment goes with the territory. And so it is with us. So it is with us. Thinking about our lives as being involved or committed. And this morning, I want to share with you how as believers in Jesus Christ, we must be committed, not just involved. You know, we have three main keys in our mission statement. Repeat them after me. Evangelism discipleship, and everything else. <laughs> That's sort of like Clause 11, right? That third thing, really, what we talked about was a larger toolbox. That's part of our mission, evangelism, discipleship, and a larger toolbox in which we do a lot of our ministry, okay? And to do this, our attitude must be continually encouraged and challenged. Now, last, uh, it was probably, I think it was a week and a half ago, our staff was, went to this conference. On the way home, we stopped at a restaurant, and we're sitting there at the restaurant. The waitress comes up, and there's Sarah, and there's Landon, my nephew, Jared, and Dan, and I. And right away, it's like, all right, you know, who's going to share with her? And they start pulling out, you know, little booklets. And, and right away, you know, we start the conversation with the waitress. Do you know what's going to happen when, you know, when you die? And, you know, the conversation goes from there. It was a great opportunity. And I just sort of sat there and watched the others just go at it. And I was like, this is awesome. Way to share your faith. We just talked about that. This must be a priority. That must be a part of our DNA to share our faith with others. Non-negotiable. The second thing we worked on this past year and really focused on it was a discipleship partner saying, that's just, that's just one tool. You don't have to stick with it. But the point is we have to disciple one another. Now, Tracy, I'm going to have you, if you're 
ready to share. If you could just uh, stand up, matter of fact, we'll grab a microphone off of here. I was talking to Tracy a while back, and he was saying, hey, can I just share some time about our opportunity that we had um, as a discipleship partner and how that went? Testing one. There we go. Thank you, Tyson. First, I want to thank Rex for his vision and the discipleship program. And uh, last August or so, we got together, Roger and I, and I don't think we missed, we missed one. I was sick. But every Monday, we get together at 9 o'clock, and it seems to go on and on to about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And uh, we talk about the Word. We, we read the Word. We discuss the Word, things we don't have firmly planted in us. We ask questions to each other. Uh, we fellowship, discuss problems in our lives, and it's just been a great boon. We finish up with prayer. That's helped me immensely, being able to pray out loud in front of somebody else, and it's just been a, a real blessing. And uh, I'd encourage all of you, if you haven't paired up with somebody, to, to do that. It's a uh, it's, it's been a change in my life, and I think it would be in yours. Thank you, Tracy. And there's opportunities, whether it's a disciple partner like you guys uh, are doing, or whether it's a small group, a community group. The key thing in our discipleship is this. We can't do this alone. You need somebody. For some of you, it's, well, it's my spouse. My spouse holds me accountable when we talk and we pray together. Okay. Our challenge is to continue to do that. So we've talked about evangelism. We said we want to be committed to this. We, we talked about discipleship. We want to be committed to this. And then we're in the midst of the capital campaign, Overflow, which comes to an end now. You know, next week is our First Fruit Sunday, and we start the giving process, but the campaign in itself is really coming to an end. Bottom line in that, though, is not just about giving financially. It's giving of ourselves sacrificially in multiple ways. Um, I, I'm, I'm still amazed. You know, Rhonda, you shared it. Man, almost $600,000 has been committed over the next three years. That's just amazing. And you think about a church our size, and that's above and beyond regular giving. That's just a big yay God. So I step back from that, and I think commitment, it's happening. It really is happening here. And we need to celebrate that more often. You know, there's a thanksgiving joy. And when you step back and say, I'm so thankful for this. I'm so thankful for that. There should be joy that accompanies that. It says, yes, thank you, God. Thank you that we get to see these things happen. Not in another, not in another state, right here. And we need to celebrate and encourage one another with that. And I want to encourage you to continue that. You know, a few months ago, Coach Les Steckel uh, was here. But the previous night, Saturday night, he was at our banquet, and he spoke, and he said something at that banquet that hit me. He said, think back to 9-11, when we were under attack. Do you remember where you were when that happened? I think everybody does. And in that moment, he said, do you remember all the pictures that came across? We'll throw one up on the screen. And the firefighters that were in New York City that rushed into, and give me the second one, please. And it's hard to see. The firefighters were running up the stairwells of the World Trade Center as people were going out. I'm going to put the third one up there. And he said, when you think about the pictures that you saw that moment, he said, that's the church. That's a believer in Christ. 
when there is danger, when there is opposition, as believers in Christ, we should be running to those that are hurting, running to those that are suffering, running to those that are trapped in sin and whatever it may be. We're the ones that run into that situation for help. While the rest of the world is running away, we're running in. Unfortunate part is sometimes we get hurt or we get sort of caught up with wherever we're running in to help. And we know what it feels like then. We feel like we've blown it. We weren't there for that person. Or, or maybe even when we were there to help them, it still didn't go the way we thought it was going to go. But that's one of our roles as a believer in Christ. We run into the situation. When Coach Steckel gave me that picture, I thought about, man, that's the church. We do this together. It wasn't one firefighter running into that World Trade Center. It was many firefighters running together into the World Trade Center. That's the church. Together, our, our eternity must outweigh our emotions. We can't allow fear or doubt overwhelm us and control us our mission. So we are going to share our faith with others. These are non-negotiables, remember? We're going to share our faith with other people. We were commanded, and not were, are commanded to be his witnesses, his ambassadors, a light in a dark world, a, a salt to a decaying world. That's our calling. We are going to make disciples because he commanded us to. He modeled discipleship, and we see the value of growing in our faith. And truly, Jesus said, you are my disciples if you love one another. So you can disciple people just by loving them with the love of Jesus Christ. And Christians, we get to show our faith by the fruits of the Spirit, by love and joy and peace. As we live out our faith and the fruits of the Spirit are shown to others, we act in obedience to the Scripture that God gives us. And yesterday we had, we had a meeting and one of the guys that shared a devotion goes, he, he, he leads a lot of the Financial Peace University classes in another church. And he shared, you know, there's over 1,300 verses in the Bible that talk about money. That's more than heaven and hell put together. So is finances important? Absolutely. It's talked about a lot in the Bible. So we are in obedience to scriptures, not just our finances, but our lifestyle, how we treat one another, how we speak, how we work. God cares about our jobs. He cares about how we act at work, how hard we work. And he really cares about how we act in love. We act in love. We live in love. Because why? For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. Giving is a reflection of God's love working in us. And so we are created in the image of God. Therefore, we honor God by giving. Not just finances, but our time, our love, our gifts. What has God gifted you with? Music, art, singing, athleticism. What has he gifted you with? You use that for his glory. You praise Him with it. Sharing our faith, devotion to discipleship, sacrificially giving, that's just the beginning. But you know what that all takes? Commitment. Let me hear you say commitment. It cannot be just involvement. Well, I'm involved. I show up. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm a part of that. can't be just involvement. It's commitment. You know what the difference is between commitment? Right there. We see that in our house a lot. Chicken is involved. Matter of fact, you get done having some eggs and you can look at the chicken face to face or, you know, nose to beak and say, 
Thank you, chicken. Appreciate your eggs. They tasted good. But you get to the pig, and you look at the pig, and you turn and say, thank you for the ham or the bacon. There ain't no pig there to look at because he's sizzling right now. That's commitment. He gave it up. That's the picture of commitment and involvement. Back in the early 2000s, um, and I, I wish I could remember the year, 2001, 2002, I could probably go back and take a look. Took a trip out to the Grand Teton Mountains. Now, the Grand Teton Mountains, you'll see this picture, is, is an incredible, if you've ever been out west and you look at the Tetons, you just sit there and say, it's awesome. So what are, we did, we had a large group that actually went out, and uh, you'll see where we camped. It was in a snow glacier in between the saddle of the Tetons. There's a little snow glacier. Matter of fact, as we slept, this was July, by the way, okay? We had a snowball fight in July. And underneath our tents, underneath that pile of snow, we could actually hear there's a river flowing underneath us. It doesn't make sense that we slept on top of a river on top of the snow, but it was July and it's in the Tetons, so we were safe, I guess. Um, but hold that picture right there. In preparation for that trip, my goal was this. I would like to climb the Grand Tetons and reach the summit, the very peak. Okay. To do that, I wanted to be in shape, and I wanted to be able to do not this, because I was too tired, but I wanted to be able to do this and see what God created. So I chose to run three miles every day for the next however many months it was in preparation. I wanted to be in shape. I wanted to be ready to roll. Here's the problem. Half of our team was committed. Half of our team was involved. See, we all raised money. We all packed. We all prepared one way or another. But half of us were really committed and got ourselves ready for the long and exhausting hike. We got to, and you go to that spot right there, halfway up, we still had a little bit more to go. You can give me the next picture. And that's as far as we got. We didn't reach the summit. We got to that rock right there, and half our team said, we can't go any further. We just can't go any further. And so we had a little group meeting and decided that as a team, as a group, we win together, we lose together. So either we reach the top together, or this is as far as we go together, but we don't have mixed experiences like, well, we had a fun time going up, but the rest of you went back down to base camp. We decided that was as far as we went. Now, that was our choice as a leader and as a team. Now, I sit back now and I think about that and say, I don't know if I would make that same decision. For those who were really committed and really wanted to pursue, we got stopped by those who were involved. And that sort of bothered me. So we took a picture, we took some rocks. Matter of fact, Brock Mueller was on this trip. And he's one of the guys that took a rock and a picture or two. We said, someday we'll go back and we'll finish this. We want to be committed. To it. We want to really want to do this. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the word mediocre was first used to describe rock climbers who were not committed. Mediocre means middle of the rock. I have that picture in my office because it's always been sitting there saying, as a goal, someday I want to go back and finish this. It was supposed to be inspiration. But when I found out that mediocre means middle of the rock, I now have mediocre sitting in my office. Reminding me now not to be mediocre, not to be average, not to be just involved, but to be committed in everything I do. Thanks, Dan. You can take that picture down. Our, our lives are really surrounded by a lot of people that are involved but not committed. I want you to think about that. You want to keep options open. Just ask any student, any 
somebody in a younger generation. Hey, what you got going on next Saturday? I don't know. Well, you want to come to this? Uh, I'll get back with you. I'll keep my options open. Yeah. I want to see what can come up. No, just commit. Well, I got an invitation in mail, but I'm not going to say, when's the last day to send it back? I'll send it back then because something else might come up between now and then. Right? I'll keep my options open, right? Commitment is so hard for us today. So there's a writer in the Bible who wrote this. You're at Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll go ahead and turn the lights back up. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And let's read this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses in the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially, especially, let me hear you say especially, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress, and let us run with endurance. Let me hear you say run with endurance. Oh yeah, let's run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. He was willing to die a, a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterward. Now he's seated in the place of the highest honor beside God's throne in heaven. Think about all he endured when sinful people did such terrible things to him so that you won't become weary and give up. So that you won't become weary and give up. Again, this is one of my favorite passages. You're going to hear this preached often from me. Now, I was reading this in a different translation. Listen to how this translation uh, translates verses 1 to 3. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed their way. All these veterans cheering us on. It means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. <laughs> that exhilarating finish, and with God, he could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in a place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Good translation. You know, the author challenges to this. To strip off everything that slows us down. Sin can really hold us back, can't it? But here's the thing. There's other things that aren't sin that slow us down. I, I don't know if you're reading this. Let's go back and see it again. Look what it says. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Now, did that say sin there? No. Look what it says next. Especially the sin. Oh, that, oh now we're talking about sin that's hindering us. So the author is saying there's a lot of things that slow us down. It pull us off track. I know I need to accomplish this today. I've got some great things I need to do. And then some other good things come up. Sometimes those good things that come up slow us down from where we're supposed to be going. Sometimes it's sin that slows us up and keeps us from where we're supposed to be going. And the author says you need to, to strip off, to take off those good things and the sin. What was it that you're supposed to accomplish today? Where is your focus today? 
What have you committed to today? And what is it that's slowing you down from getting there, good and bad? Our choices are not always between right and wrong. You know? Sometimes it's something that just hinders us, and it, it may not be bad at all. So I want you to think about that. Is there a weight right now? Is there something right now that you're saying, you know what? It's sort of occupying my time, my commitments, and I need to sort of throw that off. I need to get rid of it. Lay it aside. He goes on to say it's, it's so that easily trips us up. Now that's a difficult ancient Greek word to be translated because it could be translated four different ways. So let me give you those four translations for trip us up, okay? Easily avoided. Admired. Ensnaring. Matter of fact, if you're reading in the NIV, it probably easily ensnares us is how your translation read. Or dangerous. See, some sins can be easily avoided, right? You're like, I would never do that. There's no way you ever catch me doing that sin, okay? There are some sins that are admirable. They're pleasurable, okay? Let's think about what the word pleasure means. It feels good. So some sins are actually admirable because it does feel good. But it's still sin. Some sins are ensnaring, which means harmful. They trap us and hurt us. And then there are some sins that are definitely just flat-out dangerous, right? Regardless of how that word gets translated in your life, lay it aside. Get rid of it. It's so easy, I think, to blame society, the government, right? Maybe even the church, or a lot of us, the devil, for our sins. The devil made me do it. Well, if the government would, you know, it's the church's fault. I mean, if they would have just, you know, I think we can find a lot of different people to blame for our sins and, and what's going on. But when it comes down to it, the appeal here is simply for us to do what? By the power of the Holy Spirit, lay aside every weight. Not put a finger on who's to blame. Well, if they, well, no, no, lay it aside. If you're struggling with it, lay it aside. Drop it. Let me hear you say drop it. Look at the person next to you and say drop it. That's the first thing I want you to hear from this scripture. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. First thing I want you to hear from the scripture when it comes to commitment is this. There's some things you just got to drop. Just drop it. Okay? I, I, you know, my family's probably heard me yell that a few times in the house. There's a lot of chatter going on. Da, 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 drop it. Okay? We just need to stop. Okay? Drop it. Here's the second thing. Repeat after me. Run. Good run. Let us run with endurance. Let's check this out. What is needed is endurance to finish what has begun in Jesus Christ. A race that is set before us. There's a race that's put before us. Now, some of us thought we were finished racing, right? Right? How many of you, let's be honest here, how many of you said, I was done running races in junior high, okay? Yep, there's a couple of you, okay? Some of you are like, I don't run anymore. That's not me. I don't run races. Uh, you don't call yourself an athlete, you don't call yourself active, or you just say, I'm not a runner. But here's the deal. God has set before us a race. Okay? And the funny thing is, some of us didn't sign up for it. Some of you maybe showed up at a race before thinking you're running a 5K and somebody signed you up for a 10K. You're like, whoa, what's going on? Who signed me up for this? I didn't want to do this. Now, did you read that? Let's go back and read this. And let us run with endurance the race that who set before us? Help me out here. Who set that race before us? God. Sometimes we put ourselves in a race, but sometimes God says, no, 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 no. I've entered you in this life. This is a race. 
you, you are now my child. You're running with me. He's our running partner. He's our accountability partner. Come on, let's go. We're going now. <laughs> I don't want to run today. Don't you know what run means? There's a word in here, God. The word agana means agony. That's where we get our word agony from, okay? Yeah, that's right there. That's what the word race means in Greek. Agana, A-G-O-N-A. That's where we get agony. So God, you want me to be your running partner and run in a race? I don't want to run in agony today. Come on. You'll feel better when it's all done. No, I won't. Yes, you will. And God encourages us to come with them, to run with them. Did you realize this, that just being passive never wins a race? Anybody ever figure that one out? I'll just sit right here. Let's see if I can win. It doesn't work, does it? We're all in a race. We're all in a race. And if you realize they're not passive people, don't win races. God wants us to run the race, and he wants us to finish it right. He wants us to be committed in this. Acts chapter 20, let me read this to you. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul says this. He goes, I'm going, and I'm going to start in 22. I'm going down to Jerusalem, drawn there irresistibly by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what awaits me. I'm in a race. Except that the Holy Spirit has told me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Did you hear that? See, Paul's running this race for Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit has said, you got to go to this city. Now you need to go to this city. And what does the Holy Spirit also tell him? Oh, by the way, jail and suffering awaits you. Now, I don't know about you, but if I got a letter saying, hey, like you to go do this for God, oh, by the way, you're probably going to get thrown in prison. You're probably going to get beat up. You're going to knocked over the head a few times physically, not just emotionally and spiritually. I'm sitting there going, mm, not committing to that invitation. I like the wedding invitation where they have the little chocolate fountains. That sounds like more fun to me, right? So you put that invitation back in. But God says, no, 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 come on, come on, come on. And Paul's like, I'm there. I'm there. Read on. But my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. Did you hear that? My life is nothing unless I'm doing what God called me to do. The work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. Paul says, God created me to tell others about his son, Jesus Christ. And if I'm not doing it, I'm blowing it big time. Blowing it big time. Paul pictures himself as that runner with a race to finish. Paul speaks of my race. He had to run this race. Nobody else. That was his race to run. We all have that. That race, as I told you, means agon, agony. Here's the thing. God has set before us a race. We're all part of it. So let me hear you say run. Let's back up. What's the first thing we've got to do? We've got to drop it. Let me hear you say drop it. There's no way you can run with your arms loaded in, carrying all these doubts and fears and struggles. I cannot be committed to living for Christ and finishing strong if I'm bearing myself down with all these burdens. So drop it, and let's get going. Part of that next commitment is running. Is running. And endurance is needed. Endurance translated here, the Greek word, basically means does not mean patience where you just sort of sit down and wait, but it means a patience where you accept the things with patience and you master them. Okay, I'm not accepting it, but I'm going to master and keep going. So here's the, here's the question. If we know we're supposed to drop it, let me hear you say drop it. And we know we're supposed to run, let me hear you say run. How do we do this? How do we do this? Let's look at the scripture. What does it say? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. 
We ask the author, Arthur, so how, how are we supposed to do this? Verse 2. Well, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. There's a focus point here. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We can only run the race if we look to Jesus. I don't know about if you knew this, but when you run a race, you look towards the finish line. I think we shared this maybe a month or two months ago, talking about focus. And I think I shared with you, when people run a marathon, most people give up at mile marker. You think about this, 5, 10, 15, 20, 26. Most people give up at mile marker number 20 because they're to the point of exhaustion. And they cannot see six miles ahead of them. They cannot focus on the finish. That's why most people give up at that mile marker more than any other mile marker. This author says, get your eyes focused on Jesus. That will give you the endurance to keep going. Look unto Jesus. He uses a verb that implies a definite looking away from other things and present looking at Jesus. When you are looking at Jesus, you're not focusing on everything else around you. Because those things are going to be part of the easily ensnaring and trapping and tripping us up. So we focus on Jesus. It seems so simple, but yet it's what? It's pretty difficult, isn't it? Because Jesus is our only example, and he was and is so much more of an example. He's not only the author of our faith, he is the finisher of it as well. What he starts, he finishes, and he invites us to be a part of that. Look at what reads on. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated on the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. See, Jesus did not regard the cross itself as joy. He didn't look at the cross and say, oh, that's Jesus didn't do that. He looked beyond the cross. He knew he had to go to the cross, but beyond the cross was joy where he'd be seated next to his heavenly Father. He could look past the horror of that. Why don't you think about this? Where's our focus supposed to be? One of the most prominent elements of torture of the cross was its extreme shame. Jesus did not welcome the shame. He despised the shame. Yet he endured through the shame. As you take a look, uh, if we have the lights again, we'll take a look at some pictures here. A lot of us, when we think what Jesus went through, the flogging, to be stripped and usually naked, but again, from the movie Passion that was rated R, it really should have been beyond R because what took place in reality could not be shown on TV ever. But to be stripped naked, laid across a post, to have a, a Roman's whip, a cat of nine tails, which on the end of its leather strips had pottery, broken glass, and other shard items that would be taken and put across the back and then whipped, pulled across to where it would just expose the ribs and everything else. 39 times. Not only was it painful, but it was embarrassing and shameful. And then to have the, the crown of thorns shoved into the skull, to puncture the skull, to puncture the head, the pain. And then the final picture is the picture of him on the cross. It's a horrible picture. And we sometimes gloss over it. That's what Jesus did for us. The race he endured for us. But I want you to fast forward to the next picture. Because the next picture is the picture we rejoice on on Easter morning. is the empty tomb. He went through those three pictures you saw before. He went through the shame, the horror, and the pain for what? This. The joy of resurrection. 
the joy of eternal life, the joy of being in the presence of God, the joy of paying the price for all of us to be able to join Him. That's our focus as Christians. When you think and when I think, I don't know if I can do this. You're reading Scripture and you feel the Holy Spirit saying, you know what, you need, you need to correct this in your life, Rex. You know, you need to work on, I don't, I don't know, that's sort of a commitment. i, I got to work on that. Or then, you know, I'm listening to a podcast by another pastor or somebody, and I'm feeling convicted by God's Spirit, like, I've got to make that change in my life. Or as I'm challenging you as a church, and it's like, well, I've got to do that too. You know, that's commitment. You know how I can do that? Because I've got to drop everything, and I've got to run and keep my eyes focused on Christ. Let me hear you say drop it. Let me hear you say run. Let me hear you say focus. Our focus has got to be on Christ. Now seated in a place of honor besides God's throne. That's the glorification of what Jesus went through. These people, as the author of Hebrews was writing, they needed to hear this. They were struggling financially, emotionally. They weren't even to the point yet where, per, where the Christians were being persecuted physically. But they were getting there. I think we can relate to them better than anybody. Because we know what it's like to struggle financially or, or emotionally. And physically, we've not gotten to the point of being tortured for our faith yet. So I think we can relate to the, writer, the listeners of, of Hebrews. The writer encourages listeners to this. Think of all the hostility endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. You know, we should really be discouraged or encouraged, not discouraged. Those pictures are not mean, meant to like emotionally tug at you, knock you down. They should encourage you, especially the empty tomb, to say, you know what? That's my focus. That's why I live for Christ. Because he died for me, and now he lives for me. Knowing that we are following in the footsteps of Jesus, what an amazing thing to be invited to. For Christ to come back and talk to his disciples and say, now I want you to go do this. Now I want you to go make disciples of others. Now I want you to go tell everybody about me. And I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit to do it. You're not alone. God gives us his spirit to do all this. We should be encouraged by this. The amazing thing is that we're told that Jesus was a true picture of, of one he was uh, committed, okay? Those who followed Jesus needed that picture. They needed that inspiration. His example gave hope to the next generation, to his disciples. His disciples who were ready to give up saw the resurrected Christ and said, now we can do this, and God's Spirit helped them, right? But then there was another guy by the name of Paul. Paul hated Jesus' followers. Paul killed Jesus' followers. And then Jesus met him face to face and said, uh, 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 let me give you a new focus. Paul got his focus on Christ, changed him completely. Now Paul's going out writing letters to people. Hey, let's follow Christ. Let's get our focus on him. Drop the sin. Run with endurance. Let's focus on Christ. And then the amazing thing then is Paul, in Acts chapter 9, let me read this to you. Acts chapter 9 Actually, turn with me. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. After Saul's converted here to Paul, Jesus said to him, verse 15, Go and do what I say. For Saul's my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel, and I'll show him how much he must suffer for me. You know, and as actually Jesus was saying this to Ananias to prepare him for 
Saul's change to Paul, he's filling them in on what's in store for Paul. Oh, stick with him, okay? Stick with him, because here's what's going to happen. Verse 16, I will show him much more that he must suffer for me. So Paul is going to get a little heads up here. Guess what, Paul? I'm glad you're dropping it. I'm glad you're running. But now be ready for the suffering. But keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And if we were to fast forward and read into 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you'd read in verse 24 about what Paul said. He goes, hey, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. We'll go ahead and take the lights down one more time. I spent a whole night adrift at the sea. Now you think about when you, you, it's hard for us to picture shipwrecks, right? Can you imagine what it's like? I'm suffering for Jesus, you know. We say, that God's called me to plant a church in Florida, in Hawaii. God wants me to go to Hawaii to plant a church. I'm going to suffer for Jesus. That's, all, that's always hard to say, isn't it? I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, that's suffering for Jesus. Not only to be beaten and all that, but then you get on a ship to go somewhere on a missions trip. We get a little nervous if, it, hey, we load up the 15-passenger van and we're going on a mission trip with the kids and we get a flat tire. Oh, man. I had to sleep in a room with a bunch of junior high boys. <laughs> Suffering for Jesus. You know? Paul's like, dude, I was shipwrecked three times. Once I drifted at sea all night. I want to encourage you to remain committed not just involved, not just involved. I want to encourage you, church, as we continue to go back to Scripture. Sometimes we'll go back to the same Scripture a couple times to remind us. But I want to encourage you to strip off everything that's slowing you down. Let me hear you say drop it. I want to encourage you to let us run with endurance. Let me hear you say run. And why we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Let me hear you say focus. You know, I'm so glad that my parents decided that they would be more than involved. I'm glad that my parents are committed. Committed to Christ and committed to one another. After 63 years of marriage, my mom and dad are like little school kids in love. It's fun. And it begins with Jesus. Because you understand, Jesus set the tone on the cross, enduring its shame. And then the disciples were like, yes, we can do this too. And then Paul was like, we can do this too. And then all these letters all to all these churches of Christ were like, we can do this too. And then generation after generation, and my great-grandpa and then my grandpa Stump was like, we can do this too. And then my dad and mom was like, we can do this too. And now I say, I can do this too. I have to. You know why? Because there's a generation behind me with my boys. From generation to generation, we need to stay committed as believers of Jesus Christ. Run with endurance. Let's keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Church, I'm excited for what I've seen happen over the past few months in this church. It gets rocky at times, discouraging sometimes, but overall I'm so encouraged by commitment. And I want to encourage you to stay committed to Jesus Christ. Amen? Would you pre please stand? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for being an awesome and mighty God. I thank you, God, for being a, a Heavenly Father that says, I care about where you're going in life. I don't want to see you get tripped up or ensnared or caught up in things that take you off the wrong direction. Instead, you remind us. Let's just drop those things that so easily ensnare us. Let's just let go of them. Let's run. You put us in a race, God. Some of us are going to run a little bit slower than others. Some of us like to sprint. Some of us like to jog. Some of us like to speed walk. Whatever we're doing, Lord, we know we need to keep moving forward, keeping our eyes fixed on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Thank you for the reminder that that cross was so shameful, so despising, but yet you looked beyond the cross to see the joy. And that example trickled down from generation to generation, from the disciples to Paul, to the other apostles, to the early church. And I think in my own family, from grandparents to parents to myself to my children, Lord, we have a responsibility and a joy to live for you, to run this race with endurance, keeping our eyes focused on you. We want to be committed to you. We want to be committed because we know that our children need to know about you. And our future children, we, we can't even picture, they're going to need to know about you. So help us run with endurance. Help us be committed to you. We love you, Father. We want to run to you. We want to run with you. We sing now to you, Lord. In that name we pray.